Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. In this episode, my friend Benam charts his long trajectory through five different systems of education. Homeschool, public high school, music conservatory, public university, and a startup university that tours the world. He describes how these systems succeeded or failed to resonate with his learning style and creativity, and his observations on the effectiveness of different formats of education. brings us to the point of uh, your experience in education so far so you wanted to talk a little bit about that uh, the differences between that you perceive between homeschool public high school private conservatory public university and finally the startup university that you're going to right now yeah Um, how are we doing cool yeah um Yeah, I, I, I think so. So, in terms of just like time and, and, and formation of thought, I think the bulk of that happened as, as I was being homeschooled. Because mm-hmm. I was, I, I didn't go to any school until I was 12. I didn't go to preschool or things like that. Um, and it was just me and my mom and my sister. And then for the last two years or three years, just me and my mom. Um, and so, my primary person of interaction was an adult. Uh, for most of my childhood with the exceptions when I would like go to soccer practice or I was in like a Lego robotics team um, or what else did I do I went to church twice Mm. a week Um, but other than that oh what did your dad think of that um I think that was just like a compromise that he and my mom figured out I don't really know how that (laughs) stuff works (laughs) I was like all right um no idea what he thinks about it. Mm. Um, so that that was that was a very unique environment um, because my mom was an immensely loving and nurturing person and uh, patient with whatever weird shenanigans I was on, whether that was like you know getting super into like dinosaurs and buying all the dinosaur encyclopedias or yeah. um, uh, needing to consistently about once an hour go outside and just like run around and like pretend to like slay orcs or something um like that was my go-to thing I'd grab a stick and just like have imaginary battles with people like do that so much or like or play soccer um like things like that and then i would come back in and like we'd like do the math problem again um but i just like had this like you know i think if i'd been in school i would have without a doubt been diagnosed with add um, i was a very very hyperactive child um, which i think a lot of kids are um, mm. and I grew out of it um, but that that yeah that time in my life was there was a very low sense of self-consciousness um, because I was I was really around peers and I, I wasn't really um, that exposed to to the mechanisms of like bullying or social dynamics or hierarchy um, and, I, and as I understand it that doesn't really appear until a little bit later anyway like elementary school is usually too early for that um, but I really enjoyed, and I think I benefited from being around my sister who was two years older than me. So I, I kind of had like this, like, um, 
thing to chase after that like so i would see what she was doing in math and i'm like oh i want to be able to do that i would like you know see her meeting level like oh, i want to be able to do that so keeping up with her i think yeah was really beneficial for me and in, in, in challenging me to 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 a higher standard than, than maybe I would have otherwise. Um, and then my mom was also just really great about um, engaging with me and my sister as much as possible um, on a, on a non-patronizing level, um, whether it was just like letting us formulate thoughts and try and, 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 and communicate with her um, or just entertain the thoughts that we did have um, that were maybe sometimes ridiculous. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, I think really, formative towards some of my core impulses especially like the creativity ones um mm. having having the latitude to like some days i would yeah just play with legos for five hours um and that wasn't considered a bad thing that was just like something that was did you did you ever ask your mom or your parents why they chose to homeschool you yeah my mom's explanation is basically that there were numerous times in her education where something was finally revealed to her like like trig or this or that or like mm. some next step in the sequence that she would just be f- just so kind of like upset by because she felt like she'd been ready for that years earlier or would have been and, and she just like no one no one was giving her the room or space or helping her move at the pace that she was ready mm. or able able to move um and she she, yeah, she, before she got her nursing degree, she, um, I think she said she was like three hours away from her, uh, a degree in early childhood psychology. So that was, I think, originally what she was interested in mm. was, was that, that stage of development. So, so she, she did a lot of like, she mm. was a little bit extra well-educated when it comes to, to the specifics of teaching and parenting children. Um, and, and so I think I benefited a lot. That. Yeah, uh, um, but she had the she had the time on her hands to homeschool you too. Yeah, right. no, she didn't. She didn't work. Uh, so my my dad worked two jobs. Yeah, um, but she was a stay at home mom. So yeah. so whenever um, it was time for her to run errands, we would always go run errands with her. You know, yeah. go to the post office or this or that. Yeah, um, go to her volunteer gigs. Um, yeah, so she put up with us. I see all day long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did you, I imagine, I guess if I was homeschooled, one thing that I would miss is the company of friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I know you had your soccer practice and stuff, but the whole day, didn't you miss that? So I had a, a close set of about three or four other guys who were also homeschooled mm-hmm. um, that I that I met, met through. Yeah, well, Lubbock is the homeschooling capital of the world. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's like, there's a fair amount of them. I mean, yeah. maybe not. I don't know. Actually, yeah. percentage wise higher. Yeah, um, it, this is not a thing, by the way, in India. It's right. not a thing, right? So, well, and it's not a thing in, in most of America. Texas has pretty lenient um, homeschooling laws, and most laws there are homeschooling laws. Well, I mean, there's laws about whether or not you can go to school, right? Like, like you're kind of required to attend school, um, but but mm. the laws about homeschooling here mm. aren't as like bureaucratic as some states. Um, a lot of a lot of very conservative families homeschool their kids. Yeah. Um, so most most of most of all my friends, all my friends were very Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's like this core of a few kids that I knew really well: um, Ryan, Matthew, and Brady, and Benon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because we were all homeschooled, there was there could be no. Um, factoring in of how much time we spent together that had nothing to do with the, the quality or level of our relationships we knew that wasn't going to be much mm. um so so in my mind any any interaction i had with him picked up right where we left off yeah um, it was always just like you would dive right into things um and and as as for um stimulation of peers i mean I spent an awful lot of time with my sister because uh, mm. we were close-ish in age um, I think I learned a lot about, or, or I have, have maybe just like an experience of like women in a non-sexual way, but just like, as like, a, this is, they're just also people sort of way. Yeah. Um, uh, because my day, day up, day down, sun, you know, sun up to sundown, 
was mostly just me, my mom, and my sister. Mm. Um, so, so to me, like, like that was as normal as being a dude, if not more normal. Mm. Being a dude was like that was that was extra fun because like I knew we were gonna have a good time and like go like you know shoot stuff. Yeah. Um, but but a lot of my childhood was me learning how to like play with my sister when she wanted to like play Barbies or like this or that. Yeah. Um, and so, so to me, these were like these were. They couldn't really have much to do with who I was if I still wanted to be like you know, like a strapping young boy. I was like, I had my cowboy stuff, but also like I would go play, you know, dress up with her if she wanted to like you know put a hair extension on me and like <laughs> give me a dress or something. Yeah. Um, so that was that was also I think kind of kind of interesting and formative is is, is that this um, this dichotomy of boy and girl, while I think very there, there's there's a lot about that that is just inherent. And, and clearly manifested in my disposition versus her disposition. I was very, like, kind of, like, more physical, you know, rowdy and, and, and just boyish. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think I was at least exposed and, and forced to navigate being around um, mm-hmm. different dispositions. Um, so that was homeschool. Homeschool yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, I read a lot when I was homeschooled uh, before, I, before I stopped. Going to uh, before I started going to middle school, I read like um, Watership Down, nineteen eighty four, Brave New World. I, I got really like on a big dystopian kick um, for a little while, um, which is probably not good for my psyche <laughs> that young. <laughs> um, but that was that was like a very um, important ingredient uh, of learning was just access to other people's minds through books because there there weren't like we didn't use textbooks for anything mm. um so so learning learning that way was was really um primary um and it was kind of cool because it all, i think i think it as, as soon as she could my mom was having us read things by like you know real authors not not by books that are designed to teach children yeah um, and so that was really helpful and just kind of like being a part of and during a dialogue with like the world at large as adults experience it and then I go to middle school and it's like I'm being treated like a child in a way that I've never experienced before um, by adults and then by my peers everyone's just like um, it was it was mostly okay I was in the seventh grade for six weeks um, was really unhappy with it I was like mom this is this is not fun um, so I asked her if I could get moved up to the eighth grade um, so they did. Um, so then I was in eighth grade for the rest of the time. Um, that's how I could take five years in high school and, and still be on track. Um, but that meant that I was quite a bit smaller than most of the other guys in my classes. I almost got like thrown into a trophy case one time. Like there was, there was like, and there was a host, a whole host of like um, uh, slang, sexual references that I just had never been exposed to. Oh, yeah. I'd never heard the word like pussy before. I'd like yeah. just like yeah. it was just okay. So this is the reason I'm never gonna homeschool my kids. <laughs> or or there. or you just have to like swear around them a lot. Yeah. Them watch like profane yeah. TV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I think I think that's actually might be the answer. Like I just I think I think having a. But taboo... why you can't swallow your eyes, you pussy? <laughs> <laughs> just, just to my kid, my four year old. Like this is good for you. This like, is cultural, yeah. cultural literacy. <laughs> like choking on something, you you fucking pussy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I should bring children into the world. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> t- <laughs> I'm going to leave this a trail of destruction. <laughs> like, hey, my carbon footprint was low, but here's a piece of shit that I brought up. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my thoughts on child rearing are, I don't think I want to have children. And I'm like, pretty sure that's not, I can't. Ethically condone that. Yeah. Um, anyway, middle school, you didn't know a pussy. Yeah, yeah, didn't know a pussy was like I was. Yeah, I was just so sheltered. It was shocking. Mm. Um, and yeah, just got made fun of all the time for just about everything. It was, it was. It, yeah, it took some navigating. It was pretty. It was pretty touch and go for a while. Um, but I was only there half of the day. I was I was part time, so I would leave at around eleven thirty in the morning every day, and then go home and read stuff with my mom. Mm. Um, and so I survived. It was fine. Um, it was like a nice slow introduction into like the crazy crazy like pseudo not world that is education or high school um so then I started going full time in high school 
So I'm a 13 year old in high school, short kid, nerdy kid, just like pimply to all hell. And it's just like, Uh-oh. yeah, the only, the only thing I have going for me is I'm, I'm like the music kid. Um, cause I, at that point I had in middle school is when I had, um, there, the, the Lubbock Youth Symphony Orchestra, which is for 18 and unders. Um, that's when I've been concert master of that. So people in high school knew who I was. Like I, I had a reputation, mm. um, and so that kind of shielded me from some ridicule. Yeah. Um, and then being like the, the younger-ish kid, that was abnormal. Anything that makes you abnormal, like, you know, people will notice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just tried to keep my head down. Met some other nerdy people and we did our thing. Um, at this point in my life, I was still like pretty into video games. So I was, you know, we bonded over that. I was just in really great Halo land parties. Um, but the thing that I was astounded by um, when I got there is just the the sheer amount of just like garbage drudge work um, that seemed to like have nothing to do with what I was supposed to be learning because I I would get home every day um, classes ended at 4.35 first year I had I had my watch time down to the second I was like I knew when I was getting out of that prison um but I would come over every day and just take a nap. I was so exhausted. Um, I would sleep for like 45 minutes. I would get up and I'd do my homework and I'd go back to bed at 9.30. Like I was just so, so, so tired from sitting around and doing nothing all day. Mm. It was exhausting to me because I'm like, you know, we would either, either it would be something like geometry where we would spend 45 minutes, you know, talking about one, um, what are those... Po- postulates yeah postulates. yeah like, like one one postulate that's like you know yeah. it's like the transitive property of congruence i'm like we were like we, i got it we're good <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like like and if i had been homeschooled we would just moved on to the next thing right i had never experienced a systematized yeah. pace of learning before yeah and, but i mean you probably understand that's because there are so many kids in the room that the the, the slowest pace is the safest pace right yeah there's like three kids in the room that are like that right mm-hmm. and they're like 30 kids in the room who can keep mm-hmm. up with the pace or, or are okay with the pace that slow because they're used to being half asleep and then they're like the few <laughs> kids in the room who, who like haven't figured that out yet and so they're just like oh my god i can't stand this i was one of the few kids who hadn't figured out that you're not supposed to be like on yeah <laughs> like like you have i had to have your daydreaming going on yeah no you yeah, just gotta kick you're back like humming a new tune in your head yeah you're like 30 yeah. percent, right it's like yeah. maybe max yeah um and to me i growing up my whole life i never had to learn how to dial it down i was it was on or off that's like yeah. you know that's why i like the creative process because it's like i just turn it on and it just keeps going until it burns out and, and mm-hmm. that to me is like i've practiced that a lot growing up so yeah. it feels comfortable and so, yeah, high school, just totally different. Um, eventually, I start to catch on, um, but it feels horrible. It feels, it feels like I'm like, it's like, it's like, it's like falling out of love with someone. It's like, it's like all of a sudden you stop noticing them and you stop feeling something when they're around you and you stop wanting to be around them. And you're like, this is so crazy yeah. because it I was a numbing of it's a numbing. Exactly. Yeah. It's a numbing of something that was once really potent and personal and, and, and powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really, I did not like public education for that reason. I, I, there were so many things about it that I did not appreciate. Part of it was as they pertain to me. Part of it was because I was getting to know my peers and a lot of them were brilliant. A lot of them, it seemed clear to me, had, you know, gifted minds and, and, and curiosity that was being stymied and, and obstructed at every turn. Like mm. a lot of these kids were C students, you know, and, and generally just kind of like not conventionally successful in school because the, the metrics for being successful in school just were outlandishly heavy on organization, pretty binders or this or that, oh, yeah. or just like being, being somewhere on time or, mm. or going to office hours or doing the extra credit, like all these things that like make it, make it easier for, for, you know, people who, whose only card to play is putting in more effort, which now in adulthood, I actually, I really understand and appreciate the importance and value of that, mm. um, that I did not at the time. Um, and I was, I was angry for, for the kids that I was getting to know that they were being overlooked because they weren't able to do it the one way that seemed to be easy to grade. 
Um, yeah, so I got really frustrated by that, and and um, by the end of my sophomore year, I was I was actually I was really burnt out. I I, th- I don't know that I could have gone back. Um, I think in my mind I was like, oh, I should try violin, but also it was like a the idea of going back to that school again mm. was so like just nauseating, nauseous, nauseating mm. to me. Like I just I, I I couldn't abide it, and and it felt like I was doing something deeply wrong to myself. Um, and so yeah, violin was just an excuse. It was an excuse to be able to like mm. actually go all in on something again. Um, and that was that was a really different experience because I mean, learning learning music. Whereas, whereas in public school, the only type of feedback you get is a number, um, and 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 the number never tells you this is what you did good, this is what you could do better. Much less, and this is how you do that thing better. Mm. Um, and also, I'll check in on you next week to see how you're doing with these new techniques and tools that I've given you to do better that thing that we didn't think was quite good enough. Um, all of that's totally absent, right? Um, so, so any there, there, it never felt like I was learning or growing so much as I was meeting benchmarks repeatedly 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 um and so the next year was the total opposite um i had somewhere between like two to five hours of lessons a week um with my, my private teacher just me and her and and they would be very focused on on what had what he'd worked on previously and, and and on towards you know honing and developing my craft in, in, a, in a personalized way mm. um she was not rigid like a lot of a lot of the teachers that I encountered later who were much more by the book um she kind of allowed me a lot more latitude than would maybe even be considered okay according to classical traditions I didn't know that at the time and I was such a um obstinate kid that I wouldn't have had it any other way (laughs) but um that made it really fun for me that made it really rewarding because I was I felt like I was exploring and discovering and, and making decisions and and saying something um and it was this, it was, yeah, it was this very fast iterative process. Like I would come in in the morning uh, to the school and I would start working on, I don't know, the next like 30 to 40 seconds of the piece that I'm learning. And I would, I would try and have that piece ready to go by the next morning so I could play it for it. And then I'd play it for it and then we'd work through the next few bits. And, and so it was, it, it was, it was a pace that I wasn't used to and it was on, on material that was a little really challenging for me. Um, and it was really rewarding. It was really exciting to to be able to point at listen back to and and know that i was growing and developing Mm -hmm. um and that was really really cool and and different from homeschool because whereas homeschool was kind of this like very felt 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 much more self-directed and open and exploration this was highly focused this was this was me doing my part but being guided by someone else who was an expert in this one very specific narrow discipline as opposed to like a broad exploration of everything that yeah. exists um and so that that was that was i think in some ways the polar opposite of homeschool um but still drew upon a lot of the same qualities of of, of immersing and, and uh, engrossing yourself in, in, in a particular thing um, just it was for for longer it was ex- far extended from anything i'd done before um I think, I mean, this was like eight, nine years ago now. So now one of the things that I, I'm, I'm much more cognizant of because of that and other experiences later is is what the absence of balance would do to your life. Um, I wasn't exercising physically. Um, mm. I wasn't particularly, I didn't read a single book that year. Um, I didn't even have time for it. I was just like, didn't cross my mind to read a book. Um, and so I think, I think I actually have still some like residual like, health problems and I noticed before versus after I started I read much slower now I think than I did when I was like 14 um, just because I went a whole year without doing it yeah um, so there, there were some things like that that like wasn't wasn't quite balanced and also I like didn't spend any time with anyone I was I was in a practice room like all day mm. um, but yeah then I went back to school and finished school up um, it was it felt a little bit different knowing that I consciously was deciding to go back as opposed to kind of feeling like I was forced to be there. Um, and I think that's always played a big role in my ability to do something is, is perceiving that I have chosen to do it versus that it's something that someone needs me or is forcing me to do, which is 
that's like pretty basic. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm not totally impressed with my brain for, for having having that switch so thoroughly on um, all the time. But but yeah, it did make a difference. I was like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it all the way, and, and I'm not going to gripe about it. So so I was I was a little bit more, I think, at ease with with the, the hoop jumping and this and that. Um, and conservatory, conservatory, conservatory. Fast forward, because high school is just high school. Um, Conservatory is so weird. Uh, I was kind of coming into it like an outsider in that a lot of um, a lot of the students knew each other through um, prominent like pre-college programs that musicians that aspire to go to schools like that end up at. So like Juilliard pre-college or this summer festival or that summer festival. There was it was a very small milieu of people, and so. I was just like, okay, this is a this is a new place, all right. Whew. Um, it was so interesting because the the performance culture there is it's just so amplified. There is there is so much that rides on one's ability to perform and and, and perform per- perfectly. I remember um, there is this one master class where uh, a, cell- a guest cellist had come in and, and one of the cellists had played and she was a grad student. And one of my friends, one of the other freshmen was like, he was like shocked. He was like, I don't know what she's doing on stage if she can't play in tune. Like, and, and the thing is, she was like really refined, elegant, you know, musician who had a little bit of intonation problems. And this was the mentality that we were being, that we were adopting and that we were spreading and that was being given to us in our lessons with the private teachers was that it doesn't matter what you have to say if you can't say it perfectly it doesn't like mm-hmm. no one's going to listen to you if you can't play it in tune if you can't play it with the right rhythm and so so that becomes that becomes the thing that everyone obsesses about um and and the culture there is 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 also weird like like the the academic professors are like second class to to the um the applied instrument professors i i had um a lot of classmates they would skip classes to go practice if they had a performance coming up, they'd be like, I can't go to class today because... You mean, when you say academic professors at the conservatory, they're teaching the theory? Um, so we had mu- music theory teachers. We also had, like, um, I took a freshman writing seminar. I took a, um, oh, okay. uh, what was it called? The Birth of Modern Europe. So it was a, a survey of, of intellectual thought, kind of from, like, Descartes up to Marx. Mm. So w- let's back up a little bit. I don't actually know what a conservatory is, and so it's a place where people primarily go to be educated in music, but there is some degree of balance in that they teach you other stuff uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, so yeah, a music conservatory is, it doesn't provide you like a liberal arts degree, you get like a bachelor of music. I think it's like it's like accredited by a different institution, mm-hmm. um, and you you do get to take courses about non-music things, um, but there are no non-music degrees offered. Yeah. Um, so the only people at the school were musicians. Um, I think I think that's the best way. Even the academic professors were musicians, or actually, I'm trying to think if there are any of them weren't. Um, some of them weren't. Some of them were like adjunct on there in UCLA. So like, it's like they were just like legit career mm. professors. Um, and and they were really great. Like like the school had had access to some really phenomenal professors, who were yeah just totally undervalued. Like I, it was it was really strange to go from putting a lot of work into my classes in high school because that was a culture where grades were valued and classes were kind of hard. Um, to like the teachers were just like excited for me to show up because so many kids were like, this was not something they interested them in. And, and to me, I'd like, you know, I'd always like to learn about stuff. It was like another fun thing to do. And I actually, I think because it was, it was such a overwhelming, you know, living, breathing music all the time, I got more interested in academics there mm. um, only because I just wanted some relief. I, I wanted some balance and I was like, I can't. Um, I like there was one day I wrote like a 53 word palindrome because uh, I was just bored out of my mind. I was like, I was like, I need, I need to like, I started 53 word palindrome. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was, it was kind yeah, of abstract. Let me, let me try and absorb that. So <laughs> picture it. Fifty-three word. So it was a. It was like. A, it was like a poem. It was a poem. Yeah. Okay. It could only be considered a poem because it was like. But it actually meant stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I could probably like I don't know find it somewhere. Um, Fifty-three word poem. Yeah. Holy fuck. Not as impressive. No, I as... just have to recalibrate my notion of what I'm talking to right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like did that I doodled in all of my classes I started drawing a lot because I was just like I I, I, had st- I had ceased to do the creative things that I was doing in high school that you know gave my life meaning um, I wasn't writing music anymore I didn't have time um, I wrote one um, cadenza to one one of the concertos I was playing and that was about it um, yeah there, there were just very few outlets and, and, and it was Played a lot of ping pong with my roommates. That was how we like blew off steam because like Chris would have a bad lesson, so we'd go play ping pong. I had a bad <laughs> lesson, so we'd go play ping pong, and like fucking hate the school, so we'd go play ping pong. Because um, like you know, most of the people who go to conservatory, like you have to love what you do yeah. to to get that far into it, and and so it, it it's a really harsh reality to know that the only people who are going to give you money to do the stupid thing that you do with your piece of wood don't care about the music. All they care about is that if they put you in a studio you're not going to mess up and it's only going to take one take because you can play perfectly in tune on demand. Um, and that's, that's, that's the industry of, I think like an orchestral musician, that's kind of what you're signing up for. And I didn't really appreciate mm. what that entailed and how much mechanism mm. was involved. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very intense, very focused. Some of, some of the most high performing individuals I've ever met. Like people just really capable of extraordinary focus, extraordinary discipline. Um, there, there were my peers were able to practice more than I've, I've ever been able to practice. I, I, I tried to get to that level. I don't think I ever did. Um, they were, they were literally, they were playing six to eight hours a day, um, and that's all I thought about. Um, and they had the techniques to show for it. I was, I was definitely, I think, one of the weaker, if not the weakest, musician there. Um, technically, like uh, like the my technique was not that solid, um, so so that was that was what I spent most of my time working on, um, and what I, I ended up learning is that you actually can't practice techniques ever from music making because you're you're practicing a habit, and and if you spend a year with one habit and you want to make that habit change all of a sudden you have to you have to undo it you have to start all over basically so so I, I found I'd kind of like. Um, uh, eradicated musicality from my playing in, in an attempt to gain firmer technical mm. ability um, and that that was actually really crushing because all I had poured so much thought into this creative process this dialogue um, between me and my instrument and then I just scrubbed it all away mm. um, and it was also now the only thing that I did with my life and it felt like nothing like me like when I would play, I'm like, this isn't actually how I would do this. This isn't this isn't what I would want to do or show to anyone. Um, but it was what was being demanded of me by my teacher and, and by that culture. Um, yeah, so I transferred and I go to University of Houston. Um, very different level, very, very different caliber of, of player. Um, also, University of Houston's like 34,000 people, has one of the most... Um, ethnically diverse uh, student population or the most ethnically diverse student population in the US um, very uh, I don't want to say conventional but but there was nothing like extraordinary about it you know it was it was in many ways just trying to provide and service a lot of a lot of lower to middle class people the opportunity to get an education and, and have a slightly better life um, and that was that was like a very reasonable expectation whereas Colvin was like you're gonna have a solo career and, and play with the New York Phil and, and mm-hmm. like there were 16 year olds at my school playing with the New York Phil playing at the Hollywood Bowl um, and that was that was sort of that was on the table um, that kind of prestige that kind of career um, and that's not to say they're like I mean University of Houston like any big school has outstanding students, alumnus, all that fun stuff. Um, 
but yeah so that was that that year kind of went by in a blur honestly um i that was like the first time i didn't shower for a few days consecutively <laughs> in my adult life i was oh, like oh well, i hope it doesn't mean the whole year <laughs> no no just just oh, for a few days. My, the first year of my life i didn't shower and no but i just like realized i was like if i don't shower nobody cares and no one can stop me huh <laughs> beyond uh, i mean up to a certain point yeah people don't care and then they're like, how do I know when I'm from 10 feet away that you have a <laughs> <laughs> um, So I started doing composition there, and that was great. That was such a fun um, side of, like, kind of relief. Um, but at this point, my, my sens- sensibility toward music had, had become so different. Um, I struggled to write stuff. I, I, like, I would, like, just not like anything that I wrote. Um, it wasn't like I was being drawn towards sound so much as just every sound was repulsive to me and everything felt like wrong and i was like um i was very obsessed with making bad music like i was like i i would i would be paralyzed before i would like write something um i remember in my my lessons with my my comp professor he'd just be like yeah this is good stuff i just wish there were more of it i'm like you don't get it i'm like writing this piece has to be perfect like like i'm not gonna give you bad stuff like it was it was it was really kind of um it's way overboard because mm-hmm. I, I, I did at all did not at all have this mentality of I'll just do better on the next one that was like not even in my head um, so that was that was difficult but also really revealing just to see mm-hmm. sort of um, how that had just kind of permeated my life um, had to go through some like BS classes of you know there was like the, um, the ethnomusicology course for all music majors and I did not enjoy it it was like um, you know lecture style you just sit there you take some notes and then three times a year they like ask you a bunch of questions yeah um, that's that's the kind of education that I've been getting most of yep yeah oh just wait till I start talking about Minerva because Minerva is nothing 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 like that yeah, um, yeah so I did that for one year dropped out went to Austin lived for a year um, I actually started reading again for the first time since I was in school um and with actually good retention, because I would read really slowly. I read because I was like, there was no um, deadline. Um, and I, I think at that point in my life, I had kind of come to the conclusion that it would, it just did not make sense to hold any other party responsible for my learning. Because um, as of yet, no one had seemed to be able to do a better job um, than me. So I was like, I, I'm probably, and especially as an adult, I was much more equipped than I ever was as a kid to find my own resources, to put that, you know, square it with what I already know, decide what to keep and what to discard. Um, so I actually became very comfortable with the notion that, like, I could teach myself basically anything that I would like to learn. Um, and, yeah, so I, I didn't have any huge inclination to learn anything at the time. I was also trying to work on sort of the the reactionary, manic sort of, like, I'm not doing enough with my life. Like this was, this was, this was a lot of, a lot of what I sought out um, was guided by, by what I read from Brene Brown and and, and from a few other sources about trying to, to like walk into life through a, with the sense of worthiness beforehand, right? Like not hustling for everything all the time, not, not feeling driven by a sense of inadequacy. Like, like that to me had been, I mean, that was the prevailing drive at conservatory. It's like, you're not good enough yet. You're not perfect enough. Um, and, and I had let that destroy something that was really intimate and personal to me at one point in my life. Um, so yeah, I was trying, I was trying to like understand what it would mean to indulge my curiosity and, and, and try and commit to things and really learning them deeply, but in a way that's not because I'm so scared about being bad and about not achieving with it, but instead just because it's opening up to that uncertainty and, and trying to exist in new space. Um, the yoga teacher training helped with that because that was like, that was not something that I had been big on before that. Um, I also like, found myself actively seeking out people that I like wouldn't have hung out with beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, people who did like a lot more recreational drugs than I was used to. Um, <laughs> and not, and not like, not like the fun ones, but like, like Coke and, and, and like other sort of mm. 
and and I wouldn't partake, but it was it was really I think illuminating to me to kind of like actively challenge my assumptions about people and and about cultures and about stereotypes and, and those sorts of things and, and ask myself like what do I really know about these people and and what is there for me to know if I look a little bit deeper mm. um, and and so I think that there were there were some really wonderful moments where I felt like I was able to just experience someone and 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 whatever state of mind I was in was palpable enough that they weren't worried about my judgment and so there was just this really like pleasant coexistence it was just kind of like well you don't have to worry about what I think because I'm not worried about what I'm thinking and, and we're just here and you're good and I'm good yeah um, and yeah yeah I, I I was really really enjoying a sense of quiet curiosity about things like I, I definitely like enjoyed my routines um, and I use my routines to sort of have have the the mundane Dane components of my life on autopilot like I knew what I was going to eat in the morning I had the same thing every day I knew where I was going to go in the morning so that my mind could just like could be a little bit freer and so that when something novel came up I was like hell yeah I'm ready to break my routine because there's there's like I don't know I don't know it was the right balance for me I think I think I was very I was much more comfortable saying that these are things I need that I do have limits that I can't constantly take in stressors and I can't constantly be seeking out novel activities or constantly be performing and expect to, you know, not wear down because mm-hmm. we all, like, we have our rhythms, we have our our optimum um, exposure to things. And, and so like, I was I was trying to, to work on just, like, mediating that better, saying no to things that were not good for me, um, but not, like, reactively, but, but from, like, a sense of, like, how do I allow the things in my life that will, in the big picture, fit well and, and, and bolster up the other things that I want? Um, and then I went to Minerva, and oh, that place. Um, how long have you been in Minerva so far? Two years. Two years. So okay. About to enter my third year. Um, yes, yeah, so I entered fall of two thousand and fourteen. Um, in San Francisco um, and, and so Nerva does not have lectures they do not have lecture halls they do not have a campus um, they're they have uh, they like to use hashtags so hashtag city as a campus is one of the things that was sold in their their marketing um, you basically you live in a dorm uh, not a dormitory like a building they'll find you a building mm. um, and then you take class on your laptop um, twice a week 90 minute seminars for classes mm. it's you 12 other students and their little faces and then one professor twice a week 90 minutes mm-hmm. yeah so wait like, just that's all the classes taken together no no, no that, for oh. each class oh okay yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you're um, required as a full time student to take at least three, three classes and usually can't take more than four mm. so you're looking at in um, conventional nomenclature three or four class, or, uh, nine or twelve hours mm. um but they use what is called a flipped class model um, where the all learning takes place outside the classroom. Basically, you're given your readings beforehand, you're given your assignments outside of class, you're given um, all the information about the course is given to you before you get in the classroom. When you get in the classroom, you are um, basically you, you go through activities, polls, things that are designed to strengthen your retention and understanding of the knowledge, whether it's by explaining it to your peers, by utilizing it in some sort of like group activity where you and three other people like make a um, PowerPoint or this or this mm. about it. Um, so it's all, it's all, these are all derived from uh, the principles of the science of learning that um, our, our primary, our head Dean, Stephen Coslin, um, part of his research was that, um, and so, so he's he's really big on on he's a like cognitive scientist blah blah blah, blah. but uh, everything everything about the platform is is more or less supposed to be geared towards deepening our understanding or our retention of what we learn. Um, I mean, part of this is is because like there there have actually been a lot several empirical studies that show 
um, the like retention rate for classic lectures one year out is 10% or 15%, mm. right, uh, of, of the actual total knowledge presented uh, during the course. And so that's like, that's kind of, that's a pretty low ROI in terms of how much time you're going to give to that course versus how much you're going to remember. Um, so that's one thing they try and tackle. Um, they... The student body is very diverse, 75% international. Um, and because we move to global cities, different global cities each semester, it attracts more international students. Um, they have they have very like um, aggressive marketing campaigns globally, not just in the US. Um, so so there's there's definitely like, um, because so we're the very, very, very first, uh, not very, very, very close. We were the first class to go through um, the program, there was one year behind us, which was like 25 students, 29 students, um, who took a gap year during our freshman year, and now they're just part of our class. Mm. And so we'll all graduate together. Um, so everything is basically almost always an unknown in terms of like what the precedent is and what um, what our expectations should be. Um, they build themselves as like um, the next Ivy League school. That's that's. In, in their minds what they're competing against and, and what they're measuring themselves against. Um, and I mean, I have way, no way of knowing how they compare because I did, never went to an Ivy League. Um, but that's something that a lot of students stress out about because that's <laughs> that's what this is supposed to be is a new yeah. Ivy League. Um, but for me going into it, I had reached this point where I was like, you know, I, I just, I am responsible for my learning. I am responsible for my knowledge. I'm responsible for how I comport myself when I'm when I'm engaging in discussion on the things that I think I know. A piece of paper tells nothing. Um, I was just there because it seemed like a, a unique yeah. experience, a great way to meet people who are more curious than risk uh, risk averse. Um, and by God, were they? These are some of the most outgoing people I've ever met. Um, in in different ways, but very very like um, a lot of fortitude when it comes to dealing with with foreignness in situations um like some of these are like 18 year olds out of like jordan or nigeria or or and you know it's like the first time to the u.s and um i mean already like god bless them for speaking fluent english like that's i can't claim to speak another language right so it's like these are very motivated gifted people um but also very young i mean most of them you know uh, true freshman and and I think with the total absence of any upperclassman of any adult figure present in any way like you know you're never walking down campus and you don't see a grad student that's not something that happens mm-hmm. you just see the people in the real world mm-hmm. and 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 so and because like Minerva has so little um so few peers in terms of like institutions like it that aren't like leagues like but are actually like this school. There aren't really any. Um, so it's really difficult to understand what's normal, what's not normal, what should be expected, what shouldn't be expected. And everyone has their own opinions. I think partly because a school this unconventional attracts the person who was in school and you know wrote a 200-page tome on exactly how they would redefine education if they could. Um, they're like, I want to go to this university because I'm going to like, you know, make that happen. And, you know, the arguments become intense and very heated. Uh, and yeah, so the, the 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 seminar styles are really kind of cool. Um, the autonomy allowed in terms of being able to take class anywhere where there's a good Wi-Fi connection is pretty awesome. Um, in many ways, it, it, there's a like clearly I'm I'm in a different city right now. There's so much latitude that's allowed that most other places don't offer, um, and they've also done a great job. Um, so you were supposed to be in Seoul. Yeah, South Korea this semester. Yeah, and then Hyderabad next mm-hmm. or okay, yeah. and you're well. you're skipping that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll see what what the last year um, I decide to do, but I think yeah, there there are just a lot of badges and a lot of labels and a lot of um, expectations about how one ought to act and and what one ought to care about and what one ought to value as a student at that institution that I just like I was like I don't know where you got these but they ain't mine and 
I'm also not uninterested in, in, in engaging with these ideas, but just like, I'm not just going to adopt them. I like, you know, this is my one life and I would like to live it. And I would like to kind of have a little bit of space from, from, um, just the hum of anxiety that comes from that small pod of students who like, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a jar of bees and you just like shake it and throw it in a new city every four months. And you expect them to just like be totally chill with it. It's like, no one's, no one's going to be totally chill with that. I, yeah, I met some really incredible people there and, and do my best to keep in touch with them. But, um, and I do think I got way more out of it um, than I would have if I had tried straight out of high school. Like, I think, I think I, I'm really glad that I did it when I did do it. And after I had kind of taken that year in Austin to, to really kind of re, um, reframe how I considered my role in my life and the roles of other things in my life and what my expectations reasonably should be uh, for each of those things uh, I think that made it I mean it, it was a, I was able to more to take more advantage of the opportunities that were there than I would have if I had been waiting for something to kind of just like drop something out of my way thanks for visiting us in the room of lives in the next and final part of our conversation Benam shares how growing up in the constant presence of death and illness accelerated the shaping of his perspective on life and mortality.